And because of that tectonic shift, I feel like um, employees are starting to question, why am I working so hard? Why am I pulling an all-nighter? This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen. An attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Blum, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. Hey everybody, this is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. And as always, I'm delighted with today's guest who will introduce herself. Mai, please go ahead. Hello, everybody. My name is Mai Tan. I am the proud mother of a 14-year-old daughter named Emma. I always will introduce myself as that first because that's the best job in the world. I happen to be chief people officer at a company named Fabric. And I also happen to be an author of a book called Come Into My Office Stories from an HR Leader in Silicon Valley. So that's my story in a paragraph. Maurice, it's nice to be with you today. Yeah, no, and it's great to, to have you. So you were saying your, your book um, takes place in Silicon Valley, but you live in New York now, right? So how, how did that? Yes. Tell, tell us a little bit about, you know. Sure. Why you wrote a book and then how you ultimately ended up in New York? Actually, I'm a liberal arts major. And so for all of those liberal arts majors out there, it's really hard to understand what you will do with your sociology degree in the business world. So after spending some time in the investment banking world, as well as the recruiting world and the legal world, the consulting world, I found my life at tech startups and I fell into human resources resources, because uh, one of my bankers that I used to work for opened up his startup and said, my, come work with me, be my first employee, and just help me build out the company. And that is where I was at the time, which was in San Francisco. So I spent 20 years of my life in San Francisco, working for five or six startups. I lose count at this point, but mm-hmm. I love building. And um, software and products get introduced to the world in fast order nowadays. And that has been the story of my career is just being able to work in tech startups, building the infrastructure, the people teams, the function and helping the business grow. Um, And the book was written because Silicon Valley had all of the crazy stories. It was like, you'll never guess what happened. And because I felt like I wasn't doing a good job of capturing all the details, every night I would start writing. And it was just my part therapy, part like you'll never guess what happened today. And so I started typing on my laptop every day that there was a great story. And so uh, fast forward after startup number seven, I took some time off and I said, you know what? I need to do something with all of the stories that are just sitting on my laptop. So I was able to produce the book. And the funny thing, Maurice, is that Mm -hmm. the book that I have on my laptop is actually not the book that got published last year. I still have more stories, but um, 
to protect the innocent, I had to scramble the names, the dates, mm. the places so that you couldn't tell who was who. But I got a LinkedIn feed the other day from one of my former CEOs who read my book and said, I know exactly which stories are mine. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just a funny moment. But yes, that is, um, you know, the great stories that I get to be a part of as an HR leader. Great. And, and what is the title of the book? It's called Come Into My Office, Stories oh, yeah, from a Leader. Mentioned. Yes, okay. Stories from an HR Leader in Silicon Valley. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Two things here. I mean, first of all, my, my uh, um, you know, the listeners that are really following me know that I slowly improve as a listener. That is, you know, one of the, the things that I learned from this podcast is that I'm not a very good listener. So, so um, I try to concentrate oh on gosh. that, but I'm getting yeah. better. So, so, uh, but I want to make sure that um, the listeners will be able to find your book. So there are uh, notes going with the podcast. So uh, we'll make sure that, you know, all your social media handles that you would like to share will be there as well as a link to, you know, that people can purchase your book. So. Um, yeah. What, what will be the, the next book? What, what will, you know, is that yeah, going to be there soon well, or? You asked me how I made it to New York and I forgot to answer the question. Mm -hmm. So now I'm the one that's not listening. Um, but, and I'm still going to learn and grow too, but I moved to New York because my wonderful daughter got accepted to a school called the United Nations International School. Hmm. And so Peter and I, Peter's my husband, we said, you know what, this school sounds amazing. Um, we can probably find new jobs. We can probably find a new house to live in, but the school, I think we should do it. So we took and moved cross country. Yeah. Um, and so we've been living in New York now for four years. And I'm still in the tech startup scene in New York City, um, but that's how I made my way to the East Coast. Um, and now I think the second book, I have a lot of ideas all of a sudden, but I think the second book might be something like the difference between East Coast and West Coast tech startups because very, very different cultures and they're very subtle, mm -hmm. but to somebody like me working on the inside, um, I see them as very stark differences. My, I mean, the I I basically uh, came across your work because you were part of uh, an, an event uh, organized by the Economist, um, and um, yeah, I mean, you know, a big topic was you know the pandemic, uh, the the Great Resignation, a lot of things that are happening in the world that is affecting you know. Uh, the different sectors, not only the, the for-profit business, but also the NGO world. Um, yeah, can you can you maybe you know in in a in a short version uh, tell the listeners um, about you know the observations that you are making, what is happening in this world, and and especially from your point of view, of course, of course, from the HR point of view, from you know as as the chief people's officer. I think the world has changed. I think COVID has taught us that actually we can work from anywhere. We now have hmm. tools and technology where we can just 
all of a sudden pick up everything that we were doing before in an office and bring it home to our dining room table. You're finding me on my living room couch today and we're able to see each other from afar mm -hmm. and work together. And because of that tectonic shift, I feel like um, employees are starting to question why am I working so hard? Why am I pulling an all-nighter? Why am I sacrificing all the time away from my friends and family? Um, because now my commute is literally from my bedroom um, to, you know, tens paces away to my dining room table. And so I think this great, if they don't call it the great resignation anymore, they call it the great reshuffle. Because now more than ever, I think humanity wants to do something else other than work. And so I've heard stories of people just saying, I don't want to be a product manager anymore. I'm going to do something else. I want to go back and teach. I want to go dig water wells in Africa and help the world. I want to go to culinary school because I need to learn to cook. I've never learned to cook. And they're going back to school. They're just doing things that they long delayed. And I think it's healthier. Because for me as a people leader, I typically hear the stories about births and marriages and engagements and all the great things in life. But I also hear the opposite stories of sickness, uh, you know, deterioration, mental health issues. And so much so, Maurice, I've had to Google things because I don't know what these um, illnesses are. And so I feel that as a people leader, I, I don't think the way that we're working today is going to be the way of the future. We're burning out. We are unhealthy, super stressed, hyper diabetic. And I don't think this is what anybody intended. It's just sort of what we all accepted and inherited. So I love working with younger generations who kind of want to upend and disrupt things. I mean, this whole technology startup life that I've had was about products that disrupted the world. And so now I'm seeing employees like never before disrupt the world of work. And this is the fortune and the privilege that I have to be on the inside to change things and to help people grow in their professional careers, but give back time mm. so that they can have a life outside of work. Yeah, you you know you you just started uh, with a new company, um, so I don't want you to talk as yet about you know what is the, the one of the challenges that you have with your present CEO and your president in terms of getting the work done. But let us, I'm going to ask my question more in general. What do you think the majority of the chief uh, people's officer what their challenge is in dealing with their CEOs? Because you know I'm I'm and I'm assuming that. Still, a lot of the leadership, um, you know, would like to talk about growth. And um, yeah, is, is uh, of course, I'm not saying that they're not interested in the well-being of their staff. But it, it, when I was listening to you, it will require a lot of changes, not only from a chief uh, people's officer, but from you know, the whole senior management. I think that in general, I become one of the internal coaches. So I get to know and understand the CEO. And I always say that they, 
end up becoming my work husband or work wife because we have such a close relationship. And what I've observed over the years is that, yes, all companies, most companies care about growth, revenue, and, you know, making profits. Um, And you can do all of that, but the best CEOs are the ones that actually do it with care and they do it with humanity in mind. And that is actually very hard to balance um, when you're leading a company, when you have pressure and stress from the board or from the markets. Um, But I have really honed in after eight startups on what I think is important and how I try to help by being on the inside and being a coach. So um, for instance, there are times when you can say something and the content of what you say is, is right on point, but the way in which you say it matters. So over the years, I've had signals that I give to each of my CEOs that we plan in advance so that when I'm scratching my nose, that means something, or when I'm doing this with my hair, it means something else. And because of that, when they're in the moment and they're in front of a crowd or let's say we're doing a town hall meeting, they can understand my signals because they switch up their speaking style. And it's a very subtle thing that, you know, usually my CNI, CEO and I know that we know what the signal means. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's just funny because that's part of the privilege that I have. But um, I don't know, as a, for instance, one of the things I do is I do this and I scratch my eyebrow and that mm-hmm. means that what you just said didn't land right. Try it again. And so literally one of my CEOs was trained to say, you know what? I don't think that sounded right. I don't think that's what I intended. So I'm going to try again. And that was his and my way of helping each other mm-hmm. because I knew the audience and I knew what he intended, but it just didn't come out right because the delivery is where it matters. Um, So I just find that the best CEOs are very aware of when they're delivering a message. It's not just the content of the message that matters, but it's actually the the delivery that that actually lands well or doesn't land well. So a long-winded answer, but... um, Oh, no, it's it's interesting. It's fascinating, uh, actually. And and you just started with a new company called Fabric. are you there already with your CEO? And, and if not, how long does it take until you're there? <laughs> no, I just, um, you know, what's great about working in tech startups is yeah. that everybody wants to learn and grow. Everybody's developing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, for sure at Fabric, it's a robotics company. Um, and what we do is we enable on-demand delivery for everybody. And so um, he and I have grown close and we are to the point where, yes, let's come up with the signals and, you know, let's figure out what the signals mean. And um, it is nice to have that trusting relationship as I'm still new and building that mm-hmm. relationship. But all I want to do is Maurice, I, I turned 50 this year mm-hmm. and I keep telling everybody, you don't have a lot of time. I don't know why everybody thinks they have a lot of time. I don't think I have a lot of time. So I'd rather just give you my wisdom and share my experience so that you don't have to learn lessons the hard way like I did. So I just share my lessons and I really try to invest in the people that I'm closest to, not only in my professional career, but in my personal life so that we can just like spend more time with the people that we want to and do the things that we've been holding off on doing in our lives. So Mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, I work hard for Emma, my, my daughter, she's graduating from middle school and I come home and I tell her the stories about what's happening in the adult working world so that she can be prepared for what she's going to inherit when she's ready to go out in the working world too. Hmm. What do you learn from her? Oh my gosh. Um, well, she's at the phase where she's giving me eye rolls because I'm very uncool. And um, I think though, what she's teaching me is that sometimes it's the simple things in life that we don't pay attention to. Like she just wants to have some days uh, a chance to, you know, veg out and have a lollipop, you know, and I'm sitting here trying to get her oh, here's a Magnolia Bakery cupcake that's beautiful and, you know, frosted perfectly. She's like, no, can we just go and get some Skittles? <laughs> you know, and you forget that, yes, you don't have to complicate life so much. And I love her youthfulness. Her youthfulness gives me energy because, yes, sometimes as adults, we we think our problems are big, but in reality, maybe they're not that big. And maybe we can just get through it we look at it differently and if we look at it through a child's eyes so um strangely there is a story that's still etched in my mind uh peter and i my husband we're both in tech startup land so we you know we have work-life balance but you can always find us on our laptops or online we're tethered with our phones and so we were working on our laptops one night and emma was probably eight years old And she said, mommy, can I have a laptop? And I said, sure. Like, what do you, what are you thinking? What do you want it for? And she said, I don't know. You and daddy just always seem to be on your laptops. And I just was like, oh my gosh, Peter, we have to do better. This cannot be the behavior we're showing to our eight-year-old daughter. She now wants a laptop. She doesn't even know what it is. And yeah, that moment is sort of those moments where they, the children teach you like, hey, Come back to reality. What are you doing? Why are you spending your time on the laptop? While I was listening to you, you know, you in, in terms of uh, within your job, uh, pushing for a better work balance, it's definitely that you're taking those lessons into, yeah, walking the talk around that uh, as yeah. well. Um, While also listening to you, I, I was thinking about the story that my wife told me about her own mom and, and why the story came up is because two weeks ago, um, two or three weeks ago, her mom passed away. So we had to fly back to the Netherlands for the funeral. Um, I'm so sorry to hear that. Uh, yeah. So sorry uh, thank you. Um, you know, but 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 the, the why I came up with the story is, is that really... Um, you know, with all the daughters, what the parents she had done is at least once a year, uh, she would say to her, her child, you know, I think you should skip school today. <laughs> and uh, then they would do stuff together for that day. And that and made a huge impression I mean, because all the children were talking, still talking about that, you know. Um, so special. yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of, uh, special. Yeah. Absolutely. Time isn't on our side. So no. I, I love, I, you know, sometimes it's the adverse moments in life that make us recognize that, yeah, what we're doing, is it really bringing you joy? And if not change it, 
change it. I, Maurice, I was taking the train from New York to Boston Mm -hmm. and I sat next to somebody who was in tears. So I didn't want to be nosy, but over time she was working. I looked at her screen. She had like spreadsheets galore on her screen. And I finally said, you know, what do you do for a living? And she said, I'm an equity analyst at a bank. And um, I know that I was in tears when you first saw me, but I'm better now. And I said, well, what are the tears about? And she just said, I hate my job. I, I work all day long. I don't get any breaks. When the holidays come around, my family has to come to me and I'm only 28 years old. So I'm at work all the time. And I looked at her and I said, Michelle, you know, you don't have to live your life like that. You, there are jobs out there that don't require you to be in tears every day. And she showed me, Maurice, a um, her phone where she keeps... a a diary of every time she cries. It's a diary of her crying every day at work. And I just said, Michelle, you don't need to do that. It's, it's crazy and terrible. And you're, you're college educated. You can find something else that brings you joy because it was just such a depressing moment for me on a train ride, meeting a stranger that just sort of, uh, I had to share the, the, diary diary with Emma because I took a snapshot of all of her crying faces and I said Emma like you don't have to do this like don't find a job that makes you cry every day find something that makes you smile every day absolutely yeah wow um Emma, I would like to take us, to, you know, to my 100-mile walk. I, I told you about this. Um, you know, 10 years ago, I started um, this 100-mile walk, which means uh, walking in one week 100 miles, so 15 to 20 miles per day. Um, nine of those walks took place in the U.S., and then one time I walked in Timor-Leste and Indonesia. And I tried to raise not only funds, but also awareness around hunger, poverty, and injustice. So my question that I always ask for my guests, you know, um, you know, if, if you would be asked, my to walk 100 miles in a week, for which cause would you do, do that and why? Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, Maurice, I appreciate a 100-mile walk and what you've done. I, I hear your story, and I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Maurice is out there walking and raising, you know, funds and um, doing good in the world. Um, If I were to walk, this is such a hard question. Um, If I were to walk, the cause would be for the kids, some around the children. It's, it's a really tough world to be a kid in. I mean, there's social political unrest, there's violence, you know, the shootings in America just happened last week and it doesn't seem to be going in the right direction, the world. There's poverty still. We haven't tackled the environment and the pace at which things are moving is um, very saddening. So I um, would love to walk and actually get exercise. First of all, (laughs) these Zoom meetings have been back to back. And while I love technology, it just makes it easier to just sit on the couch all day. Um, But yeah, I think there's much bigger causes in the world. And I actually think if if I didn't have to work at all, I would just travel um, the world to gain a bigger perspective 
because I know that I live a very fortunate life, um, but I need perspective. Um, and there's a tangent story. Maurice, I always go off on tangents, no, no, I, so forgive yeah, me, but um, it's good. I, I, I'm from Vietnam and Vietnam, as I remember it, and as I studied it, um, I left when I was four, so I was too young to remember anything, but it's always been a third world country and it had all a lot of poverty. The last time I went back with my parents, which was about 15 years ago, there was poverty everywhere. So I said, you know what, Emma, I'm going to take you back to Vietnam so you can see where I was born. You can, we can visit and go with grandma so that we're not tourists. We're actually going back to visit family. Because I said, Emma, I need you to see a different side of life. You've grown up in San Francisco and in New York City, which are two very phenomenal cities, but you won't understand the depths of poverty until you go to a third world country. So we went to Vietnam, planned the trip with my husband and my mother. So it was nice. It was a great trip. And I was looking for like something to show her, to give her perspective. And in the end, Vietnam had changed. It's like developed and there are big companies there. It is very westernized. And I just, it was almost like I was disappointed because I couldn't show Emma this other side of life that she's never been exposed to. Um, and so uh, I have to go back and go into the countryside where it is still underdeveloped and still poverty stricken. Um, I, I, I think the kids and all of us need more perspective. And I think walking a hundred miles, traveling multiple distances outside and far away from where you currently live will actually help uh, bring back a little humanity and perspective. Um, and, and awesome that you, that you did that. Um, and I, I think also the fact that your daughter is going to a, you know, UN school is probably exposing her also to different stories. Um, I, you know, I'm, I was always, uh, because, you know, my, of our children were also privileged to go to international schools. And one of the things that are different from many other children is that when you talk about, you have a lesson on history, you will see that certain wars are called differently, for example, or different mm -hmm. dates for independence are being used. So, so I, I think, if, yeah, uh, that, that's uh, yeah. that's a oh, huge yeah. plus for for uh, for many of those kids that are exposed to those type of circumstances. Um, you know, during my walk, I also often talk about the fact that walking has something spiritual in it. Well. And there are many miles that I'm walking and you ask yourself the question, why am I doing this? And, you know, you go in <laughs> and out. Um, but when I walk with, with somebody is, is we talk often about spirituality and religion. And then pretty quickly we talk, hey, what do you think is happening with the younger generation? Um, how do they look at spirituality? How do they look at religion? So my question is, is what do you see among the younger generation and spirituality and, and religion? Oh, I've seen a lot of change. Um, and I, I equate that to my own family. So my parents are Buddhist, but when we moved over to the United States, we were sponsored by a Lutheran church. So although they never converted fully, they had this strange footprint of Buddhism and their Eastern ways, and then adapted to more Christian Western ways in the other half. And I think 
there's a lot of that now. There's diversity of religion. And as, you know, people are marrying together and, and you know, America is still this melting pot of all these different cultures, I find that for younger generations, um, religion is becoming less significant. I still, to this day, I can't count on my two hands the number of people I know that even go to church anymore. Um, for myself, spiritually, I believe in prayer. I believe that there is a deity and you know a greater force um, among us. But I think that I have met more atheist and agnostic folks living in San Francisco and in New York City than I ever have in my you know earlier life um, and earlier childhood. Um, I think the world is changing. I think people now feel more in control. And so they don't look to, you know, other forces or other places for that spirituality. They feel like they have to do it on their own and they make changes and change circumstances uh, based upon what they think they can control. Um, it's, it's a shifting world. And I think um, some of the older institutions don't allow for all of the uh, different types of modern families that exist in the world. So religion traditionally hasn't been a very accepting place. And so I find that it's lessening its effects, especially on the younger generations that are more diverse than ever before. I would like to to piggyback on what I think I heard you say is that if you look at yourself, um, you said, and then this is something you observed as well, is institutionalized religion is less important. Uh, you still feel yourself, because that I think that's the word you use, spiritual. Um, so how does that then work with the younger generation? So they are not attracted anymore to institutionalized religion, do they still have that spirituality, the search for that spirituality, the need for it as well, like you have? Or do you see that changing as well? Uh, I see a lot of moving pieces, Maurice. It's so hard. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, I think um, there's confusion. There's the search for identity, especially when you're younger, you're searching for yourself. Yeah, like who am I? And I think that happens throughout your life. But I think the places that they're going to are, are very different. They're not going to, de definitely not going to institutionalize religious chapels, temples, churches, all of that. They're they're seeking something sometimes even online or. Um, with affiliations that, of course, I can't name off the top of my head, but um, yeah, I think it's a confusing world. And that's why I say that it's been, it's really hard to be a kid now. It's not easy uh, between the suffering, the human suffering and the things like social media, bullying, cyberbullying, all of that is sort of like, wow, what happened? And where did we lose ourselves? And our own humanity for each other. Um, I don't have a, a good answer to this question because I, I just, 
don't talk about these things anymore with people. It's, mm. it's sort of like a totally different universe now where spirituality and religion just don't even come up in the conversations where I am. So also not as you as being the chief people's officer. Um, yeah, that's not, uh, you know, those type of topics are, are not being addressed in, in the, on the work floor. Yeah, it's hard, um, you know, between politics, religion, mm -hmm. um, all of the unrest and political grapplings that are happening mm -hmm. across the world. Uh, I actually think that some companies do take stances and people leaders do take stances on these things. For me, I've learned that um, I try not to judge people and I try not to come to conclusions because I can't I can't walk in your shoes I've never done the hundred miles in your shoes and I probably never will. And so it is not my task job to nudge you or to pull you in a direction. My job is to definitely help you and support you in career growth or in personal moments. But I hold back on um, overstepping my boundaries as a people leader because I just have to respect that we are all the sum of our experiences and those experiences are very different from my own. So um, I try to be somebody that's approachable and I try to listen um, to see where I can be helpful. And then when I can't be helpful, I just say, I don't know how to help you here. I, I can't mm -hmm. in, in my personal life, as well as balancing my professional career, I can't guide you. I can't, I, I, I need you to find your way. Um, it's, it's a tough balance some days, though, for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, you, you mentioned already a couple of things that are going on in the world, you know, from the, sh the shootings in the U.S., um, you know, wars are going on, the pandemic, name it. Um, what do you worry most about? at the moment? I'm worried that we'll just go back to normal. Um, and I think that it's so strange. We're coming out of a pandemic, although, you know, uh, there might be another strand out there we don't know, but all of the uncertainty, this is a great opportunity to reflect and kind of look inward to say, what do I want from life? And what am I holding back from? And you know, I'm, I'm Asian American. So I also look at like the Asian American violence all of a sudden and the AAPI hate that's out there related to the pandemic and the, the horrible rumors. And I just say, gosh, again, what happened to human decency and what happened to our manners and etiquette with each other? Um, I think the other day I was in, I was uh, catching the bus and it was raining and the bus driver just hugged the curb where all the puddles of water were. So everybody that was waiting at the bus stop got splashed with the, the puddles of water. And so it was sort of like, you didn't have to do that. <laughs> There's a full bus lane. Um, and so everybody came on that bus angry and it was when they were 8 a.m. in the morning. And I just said, gosh, what? what are we doing to each other? We're just destroying each other and for no good. Um, and 
I don't know. I, I remember these small moments in life that make me question, like, why did humanity get like this? And for me, as a single individual, you know, fighting the fight where I can, I just try to do what I can to be good. I try to be good to people because that's what I want my daughter to learn from me. And I think it's what's needed. Oh, my gosh. If you can just be good to each other, I think we'll be better. Is, is, it, is it there where you still see hope? I have to. I have to see the world like that because otherwise I would cry and um, just shrivel under some of the stories I hear about. But yeah, I think hope for the younger generation to change things and to disrupt the way that we're working and, and treating each other. I definitely have hope. The younger generations don't put up with a lot. They're not afraid to speak out and they're not afraid to speak up and um, take control. And they know when something's right or wrong. And so I love that fearlessness about them. You know, where I um, see hope is, is the fact that as a world, we agreed uh, on 17 sustainable development goals. And, and you know, there are a lot, um, but at least, you know, a lot of work has been done by different uh, countries, well, by almost all uh, countries and most uh, of the countries are really working on this to push this forward and hunger uh, and poverty. Um, but we are we are not you know those goals need to be reached before 2030 and the last two years we did not make progress as a world uh, a new report just came out this this week um so there is a movement that says well one of the reasons that uh, we are not making the progress that we should be making is because we don't uh, pay attention to the abilities and the skills um and the qualities of us humans you know as you as an individual and we as a community. So they've come up with a, a five, uh, what they call inner development goals. So being, you know, action, etc. So um, if you if you hear me say this in terms of, you know, yeah, you need if you want to reach, if you want to change a system, if you want to make changes, you also need to work on yourself. How does that resonate uh, with you, or maybe it doesn't? So what, what are your reactions uh, to this? Oh, my gosh. Maurice, I, I don't know, and I feel very lucky that you happened to find me on The Economist, but I appreciate your story, just hearing like what you're doing to affect the world in your corner in New Jersey, right? And I think that this is what it's all about, is sort of like, where's your passion, and what are you doing? learn and reflect and you know I love you know walk talk and listen it's so clever because you just need to spend some time really reflecting on what you want and here we are collaborating with our stories and thinking about like how we can develop each other so I don't know I don't know how to put this together but sometimes I feel very lucky when I meet new people, because when you meet new people, they give you a new perspective of, gosh, oh, this podcast life sounds interesting. And 
this is, I, you know, I appreciate you reaching out. And one of the reasons why I'm on the podcast with you is because I was inspired by your own story. So I think some of this is just about meeting the right people at the right points in your life to develop yourself. Like your inner self needs develop. All of us need more development. I've always believed that students, we are all students of life. And um, as a people leader, I would say that employees stay at companies because they feel they're learning, not because of the compensation benefits or perks or iced kombucha. It is actually because they're learning from the leaders around them. And I believe that to be true personally, too, is that I gravitate toward those people that I'm inspired by. I There's a certain friend of mine that I call every day, almost like my own mother. And it's because I'm so inspired by what he does that I just can't let him go. I'm like, okay, what are we going to talk about today? We have a, a sheet that we have for each other where these are the things we talk about as if we are project planners, coordinators together, but we're just friends talking about the things that we want to talk about. So um, I don't know. These are the intersections of me trying to de- develop myself through the lens of other people too. But yes, totally resonates, Maurice, totally. And um, like I said, I feel very lucky to have met you during this point in my life. No, but it's it's mutual. Uh, my, I mean, one of the reasons that I invited you as, as a guest, because I, although you were not using the language of the inner development goals, in your presentation, you clearly had, you know, from my perspective, had thought about that balance, uh, you know, between uh, systems and, and people, you know, and the eye and, and the need to pay attention to all of it. So I, I would really invite people to check out your presentation. Oh. Podcast out there that where you talk about your work. Um, I want to bring you to, you know, to an area really drives me in, in, in my life, and that's music. Um, I always ask my guests, if you have to come up with a piece of music or a song that best, you know, um, embodies about, you know, who my tone is, uh, what song or piece of music would that be and why? I had to look up her name really quickly, but um, Natasha, Natasha Bedingfield has a song called Unwritten. And there is a lyric in the song. Uh, I have to look that up too, but it, it's a wonderful lyric, but it's the best is still unwritten. It, it's one of the songs that I listen to as well. I have to, uh, and, 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 um, yeah. So, so what is, what does that do when you, when you listen to that, uh, lyric? Uh, that song brings me to tears. Um, it's, um, a wonderful tribute to all of us developing. Like, I think we're still developing. We're mm-hmm. still, and I, you know, it's funny. I talked to my mother the other day, who's now 85 years old. And, you know, she drinks Insure to make sure her bones are healthy. She takes vitamins. Um, She has to go to the bathroom more often now. And she said, life is like a cycle where I'm going to become a baby again, where I'm going to need milk. And I'm going to need to be fed and I'm going to be in diapers. And so um, 
sorry. I look at it from we're losing time. And that's why we need to write our own stories and figure out what we need to do to get to where we want to go and to bring back joy. I think that's part of the emotion that I feel because I don't think people are having much joy in the world, especially recently. It's been really hard. Um, and I think being a people leader, I have to keep it together most of the time at work because usually people are coming to me, but you know, I'm breaking too because there's so much happening in the world. Um, and you can't control the chaos around you, but I always say you can choose how you wake up and the attitude that you have. Sorry. I didn't know. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I had some emotion in me right now, Maurice. <laughs> I, I, I can totally relate with that. Uh, uh, my, and I, um, and here I'm, I'm going to um, go against my own rule in terms of that I should be the listener. But I, I also <laughs> think that, that it is, um, it, it's perfectly fine to, to have those feelings and to let, let that be there. Uh, what helps me, and and I often talk with my wife about that, is we have a, we had a enormous sportswoman in the Netherlands, and she was an Olympic skier. She had cancer, went through enormous treatment. She lost her legs, and so she were you know she became a Paralympics. She won gold medals, and of course there were ups and downs. And but what she said, and what she always did with her. Um, Husband, because people always ask her, you know, you're always smiling. I said, well, I don't always smile. I have hard times as well, but I don't let it overtake me. So, you know, she put the clock, the alarm clock, said that they would allow themselves to cry for one hour maximum. And um, I, I, yeah, that's for me really helpful. And, and um, you know, put up your favorite song and listen to it. Let it go out and go again. So, so um, uh, well, th thank you for sharing that. That, that song and, and I would like to, to remind the listeners that we've made a, a Spotify playlist with all the songs that are uh, chosen by uh, the people that I uh, talked with so it, it's really interesting it goes from Mozart to the Beatles to you to to Natasha Bedingfield now so um, yeah I, I, I listen to it often it, it gives me strength did you always enjoy music? Was it just something that you enjoyed as a... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one, one of the things that I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to become a professional drummer um, or a professional soccer player, but then I got into a moped accident. So, you know, I... I uh, yeah, that, that was, would be difficult to, uh, to pursue. So but music has always been important. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Hey, my, yeah, thank you so much for everything that you shared so for, far and, and the time goes so fast. I, I, I would like to, to finish with asking you if you have um, a message, an invitation or a question for the listeners. Message for your listeners. Okay, I'm going to try to do this through tears again. <laughs> um, I went to this uh, institute called the Human Performance Institute in Florida. It's in Orlando, Florida, and it's an institute that studies how to bring out your maximum performance. Mm. And 
originally it started off as a sports institute of what separates the number one players from the number two players. And it turns out very little separates them. But they figured out one of the recipes for being and being your best self is to have a mission statement. And so um, it took me a while to figure out my mission statement. Um, but um, the mission statement is, um, I want to be an extraordinary person who's kind, compassionate, and optimistic so I can bring out the extraordinary in others. It's, it's been hard as a people leader because moments of stress and pressure and the business all come crumbling down and then people lose their sense of self and humanity. And that's where I see the debates and the fights and the struggles start and they usually don't end. So that's how I'm trying to live my life. It's just kind, compassionate and optimistic. Yeah. And, and, and well, thank you for sharing that. Maya. And I, um, yeah, I, I, I really, uh, believe in, in you know I try to 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 do that as well I don't know I probably feel feel miserably most of the time uh, because of the ego you know it stands in the way um, but uh, yeah I, I hope that uh, you know also the people that are listening to this podcast and have listened to previous podcasts um, yeah, get something out of the fact that you might not agree with everything my guests are saying or or what I'm saying is, but you know, it would be, you know, it's probably not uh, possible to disagree with everything that person is saying. So, and and if that because nobody can be wrong hundred percent of the time. So um, so if you find that, start a dialogue. And the dialogue is the beginning of, of uh, you know, uh, tolerate each other and maybe even collaborate or co-create. So, um, yeah, th thank you so much for your willingness to share your your story. Um, again, I, I uh, me. encourage people I to check out your book and, and your presentations because I really think they are valuable and important. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Um, I love your story that you got to walk and like just have some company while you were walking too. So um, thank you for having me. And I really enjoyed listening to you. I hope that I contributed back to the conversation, but I hope that we get to stay connected. And if I can do anything else to help you or the listeners out there, please just reach out. Great. Yeah, no. And, and uh, we will make sure that people will be able to find you with some uh, somehow through the podcast notes so thank you so much and, and good luck with everything you do thank you thank you maurice good luck For listening to walk talk listen please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on facebook or instagram